to Lars Labour's watch. This is the uh, the beanbag edition. So to set the scene, we are both lying on beanbags facing one another. Yeah, it's very comfortable. It's very comfortable. And we just did a yoga class, which was very like... Zen. Zen. It was so. a, a yin practice, is what she said? That is what she said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea being that yang is the strong, like the normal yoga you might think about all the, all the different positioning things. And yin is more about like... We did like maybe six different positions and you have to hold them for like five minutes. Yeah, so hopefully we'll sound very zen on this podcast and you'll feel zen too, having listened to us. But yeah, no promises. No promises, you know what we're like. So uh, it's been a little bit of a little bit of a while and since then a lot of stuff's been happening. Um, not well, which we're going to talk about, obviously. Uh, not least of which actually has been to start the return of Doctor Who, which I think has been relatively heralded given that Jodie Whittaker is playing the Doctor the first female person to play it yes yeah so that's um you know the, the tagline for this new series was it's about time yeah which is such a great tagline because obviously the show is about time it's about time travel but also it's about time that you had um somebody who wasn't a white man play the role yeah. um so I think everybody was quite excited to see see her take on the role, and I also think a lot of people, such as Helena and I, who probably hadn't really watched the show religiously yeah, for a long time. I haven't watched it since. I haven't watched it. I think even before Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi. Yeah. No, I think well, Matt Smith was the last one, Doctor that I watched. Not at least two seasons, I think. Yeah, because Peter Capaldi played the role, and I like Peter Capaldi as an actor, uh, very much so, mm. but I don't really think it worked having him play the Doctor, which I don't think is his fault, I think it was just a variety of things, like for me it didn't really work, mm-hmm. um, but well, but equally I obviously didn't watch it properly, and I think there are a couple of factors at play here, and, and like one thing we should clarify is that Helen and I are of the generation who were children when the, the series was rebooted yeah, in absolutely. 2005. So we were probably at like peak age to like be able to enjoy that and like Absolutely. be excited by that, um, and we've obviously like potentially kind of outgrown it a bit now, really, because it is yeah, it's still a children's so. show. I mean, I know a lot of adults watch it and enjoy it, but I still think it's probably fundamentally it is aimed at kids and it should be yeah absolutely yeah I agree. So, but still, it is exciting to see a reboot of a show that. I used, you know, we used to very much enjoy. Even now, we will both agree that you know David Tennant was the best Doctor that ever was. So Christopher Eccleston also great. Let's not go on him, but it was at the time of Merlin and Doctor Who, so it brings back nice nostalgia for us. So and equally, as we've grown up, we've now become quote unquote feminists. You know, we support women's causes in the media. So to have the first woman play the role and it'd be Jodie Whittaker who I think is a great choice yeah was obviously very exciting and I think the BBC definitely found that a lot of new viewership came to them they had pretty high viewing ratings like 11 million they did I think they said it was the the biggest overnight rating since David Tennant regenerated which was back in 2008 oh man I can remember that yeah obviously that was a big moment and people were tuning in for slightly different reasons mm. like if anything this is probably more of an achievement because people tuned in to see David Tennant regenerate because Believe, yeah. he played the role for like five years and people cared mm. whereas you know this is Jodie Whittaker establishing, establishing herself in the role and people mm. still wanting to like see how she does it um, and there were also stats like floating around that more young girls had watched it than ever before Yeah. Um, so lots of really positive feedback and in fact overall 
this series so far has had incredibly positive yeah, reaction, which absolutely. is great. What was your hope for this first episode? Mm-hmm. And what were you kind of worried about? Like, what were the two things that you things you were thinking about when you went into it? Sure, absolutely. Well, my first hope was that it was going to be fresh and not bogged down by the history of Doctor Who. Because for me, that is the that is the problem that. So it was Mark, Stephen Moffat was the showrunner with Mark Gattis. No, that's Sherlock. Stephen Moffat was the showrunner, and he brought a lot of good things to the table, but also bad things. Being that he, it was obsessed with arcs and obsessed with um, the past history of Doctor Who, yeah. which was quite alienating for some people who haven't watched the nineteen sixties series onwards. Majority of people, let's yeah. really be honest. So yeah. I really hoped it'd be really fresh, and I kind of think I, I believe it would achieve that because of again, it's. It's all. It's not in London. It's set in Sheffield. Jodie Whittaker's a very fresh person in the role. She's quite young, I think. From my looking at her, she looks young. Yeah. So overall, and my worry was that it was going to be a bunch of hot air, and they weren't going to tackle the key problems that Doctor Who has faced in the past, which I think has been being too overcomplicated. Yeah. Because children can't get me. You know the crack in the wall arc from seasons eight and nine. Part, it was ridiculous. Like I didn't understand oh, it, and I'm an adult. adult. Yeah. So that was that was my my two key things. Wait. Um. Yeah, I agree. So I think my hope was that it would. Yeah, it would do what a reboot should do in mm-hmm. like kind of re-establishing the terms for a new and uh, being a new entry point for people who haven't watched the show before, mm-hmm. who had dropped off, or for like children who were watching it for the first time. Yeah. Um. And just being. Being something that continued in the in the his, in the history insofar as like the the vibe and the kind of uh, the feeling that Doctor Who gives you of the excitement of the wonder of the ability to time travel and see new places and yeah. like what's going to happen each week and I think that thing was what I used to get so excited about watching it because every week it was different was like yeah. every week it was different rather than the overarching storyline even though I remember the first time they did the overarching storyline with the bad wolf oh that was so good it was incredible yeah. um, you know it was worked really well but I think that it didn't necessarily work so well in some of those subsequent series yeah um, so yeah I think my hope I would really agree with you would be that it was going to be fresh and new um, and offer something slightly different to the table while mm. still continuing in that tradition yeah I think my fear was that it wasn't actually yet it wasn't actually going to offer anything new aside from her being a woman and actually it was just going to continue with the like wibbly wobbly timey wormy as they call it stuff um, and <laughs> just being a bit kind of like bogged down in its own mythology and like one thing that I think has to be noted is that in recent years Doctor Who has become incredibly popular worldwide in yeah. America and like that's super cool and like I remember when I was young and like I would go to America and me and my brother would talk about Doctor Who and our friends would have like no idea what it was yeah. whereas now it's like it's huge you know Jodie Whittaker has been on all the late night TV shows like talking about this mm. role um, but I think the downside of it is like the creators maybe got a bit kind of too excited by this it got quite flashy didn't it yeah and being mm. like we've got this big audience we've we can kind of do what we like. like. There's a danger of being like really successful, isn't there? Yeah. The advent of the American fans kind of meant that it lost a bit of its simplicity. Um, you know, we talk about kind of the crappy technical effects um, and the lack of standalone stories. You know, it felt less and less BBC, in my opinion, the further on we went. 
Um, and then also the writers got ahead of themselves as well. Like the Amy Pond story was one thing when she turned out to be River's mother, and it was too much. It was too much for such a small format show. You know, it would have been fine for a big film, but not. You know, and it would have been fine for something that was maybe planned for year, years in advance, but, but didn't really get that impression. So. It just felt like they were throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck. Just a bit too complex, and I think people do drop off. And I also think that they seemed to hugely forget about how. Doctor Who has so many casual viewers, right? Yeah, since Peter Capaldi took over the role. Um, Even since the last two seasons of Matt Smith, in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely watched it far less frequently when I went to university, but I would always watch the Christmas special with my family. Mm. But you tune into the Christmas special and you kind of expect some, like, crazy Christmas trees and kind of madness, kind of vaguely festive, a bit of fun, a bit of drama, but sometimes you'd get these like really bizarre stories that were sort of continuations of something that Clara was going through. It was just like not aimed at the casual viewer. And you Mm. think, guys, this is Christmas day. Like the people who are watching this, you know, you're watching it with like several generations of your family, different ages. You've got to like, and I know that you still want it to be a good show and like Mm. things can't kind of just be really broad all the time. You want it to have an emotional impact. You want it to have like a dramatic impact, to be exciting, and to tell like different mm-hmm. stories in different ways. But I think you you doesn't need to be as complex as it was getting. Yeah, and yeah, I think really positively. Let's move on to Jodie Whittaker. So yeah. when the, the this new episode opens, you've got these sweeping shots of the Yorkshire Moors, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Really beautiful, really striking, and very different from any of the kind of scenes that I remember seeing depicted in the series prior because yeah. a lot of the Earth set episodes were set in London or they were set in Cardiff because it was filmed in Cardiff <laughs> so therefore Cardiff had this strange they like had to go to Cardiff they, it was they, easy. Had, they had a problem on what was it called it was like a some like rift in the space-time continuum in Cardiff in Cardiff yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, coincidentally coincidentally um, yeah so it, but it was very city it was always cityscapes right yeah. unless it was supposed to be some alien planet. Well, it's a specific decision, you can tell. Like, throughout the show, what you hear is Yorkshire accents, northern accents. Um, you know, Jodie Whittaker herself speaks in a northern accent. Yeah. Um, it's set in Sheffield, so it's very much more, a bit more industrial, a bit more sort of regional than London is. And actually, I feel like that's a specific decision that BBC have made, which is important, because in the end, this is a British show, that... It, its charm is being a British show and actually going somewhere else and representing a part of Britain that doesn't normally get represented in the media is another step in making the show unique and making it accessible to more people. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, fine, 12 million people live in live in London, but 60 million people live in the UK. So that's a big majority live outside of London and you must be getting sick of seeing London, London, London on TV yeah. as well. And I also think in terms of the the mythology of Doctor Who. So one of the, th- the things I remembered from my time watching it is that in the world of Doctor Who, people know that aliens exist. Yeah. Like, that's not a surprise to them that yeah. aliens exist. But the way they depict it in that first episode of Jodie Whittaker is that although these people she's interacting with have heard on the news that aliens exist, mm. they themselves have never had any interaction with them or any close proximity. Mm. So they're quite sceptical in the way that you would be. Mm-hmm. Whereas from what I could see, London was like constantly being attacked. Yeah, and, all the time. You know, Cybermen everywhere and stuff. So they would probably at this point be quite like immune to the idea that this woman was a time lord. They'd be like, sure, cool. Yeah. Also, it's a clever because it, it really removes you from... Um, 
all the random batshit stuff that went down in London with like the Cybermen, the Daleks, the Christmas Invasion, which are one of my favourite episodes. Um, yeah, they have really kind of separated it out and it also really helps them break away from the constraints of past Doctor yeah. Who continu- continuity. Which is great. And I will say, like, for me, I'm getting sick of seeing white male Londoners being portrayed on TV and I don't think that's a real sweeping statement that isn't true of everything at all but seeing women seeing people who are not white um, seeing having accents that are not my own on TV for me I'm finding it so refreshing to see something different and Doctor Who is really providing me with that Um, because what the cast is two women two men there's people who are not just white they're talking about you know the most recent episode was talking about issues that are actually civil rights issues that are interesting that are thought-provoking um i think the fact that it's straying into new areas deliberately to make itself fresh is a great thing you know yeah absolutely and i think um jodie whittaker is doing a great job with the role from absolutely. what i've seen so to clarify i've only seen the first episode um where have you seen all of them I can, I, so far? Uh, yeah i watched them when they come out yeah, so my decision not to watch... Well, it wasn't a conscious decision to not watch the film. <laughs> I just haven't got around yeah. to it yet. Um, but I immediately found her to be incredibly engaging yeah. and um, completely inhabit the role like very easily because I think it is a challenging role uh-huh. because you're supposed to be playing this person who has regenerated, well, 13 times yeah. over centuries mm-hmm. and yet still kind of retains elements of their past self but also has their own kind of personality mm-hmm. own friends in some instances love interests and each life is absolutely um, i agree and i think the key problem for her and people have said that she achieved this was that she's a female doctor but the whole point of the show is not to make her act feminine she's not going to act in a particularly female way aside from she is a woman so she might behave in a way a woman would behave but that's not prescripted you know so people said that after uh, half to five minutes you forget that oh it's a woman what and just realize her as the doctor and it's interesting actually that i will say there's less fighting scenes and less like her standing up to the bully scenes okay interesting like there have been a couple where she's gone very David Tennant, for example, and sort of stood there and been like, don't mess with me. Mm. And she still uses the the smarts and the interesting ways of getting out of problems. Like, that's all still there. But there is a bit less, like, I'm the doctor, I've come to save you. That kind of thing doesn't really happen as much. Yeah, that's interesting, because I completely agree with you that, like, it... And this isn't just me speaking as someone who wanted her to do a good job, and as you say, as a feminist, like wanted to enjoy it. It's not that. Mm. Like I genuinely like completely believed her in this role, like from straight away. Yeah, much more so than I did with Peter Capaldi. Oh, um, yeah. And I also think that she, in, from what I've seen of all the doctors, seems to actually probably have most similarity with David Tennant. Yeah, like, because she not just a long coat. <laughs> no, but she. It's a bit weird to say she sort of looks like him because that's not true. Like, she doesn't actually physically look like him, but she is performing the role physically in a sort of similar way. She's a David Tennant-style doctor. Yeah. yeah. The great thing about David Tennant in her role was the fun. Yeah. The the inherent sense of fun and childish enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and general kind of, like, good nature, I suppose, like, and just being really up for things and excited for adventures was something he brought, and she's definitely yeah. reflecting that in and her role. Not being weighed down by emotional baggage, because Matt Smith, he was born regenerated in a time of, that was very difficult for the Doctor, you know, he lost all of his friends and mm. blah blah blah, so, um, and Peter Capaldi was old, so I feel like, for her, 
she was born in the same spirit that David Tennant was of one of hope. Yeah. Like David Tennant's story gets dark at the end, but it's happy at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I feel it's, it's the same for her. And it'd be really interesting to see where they take it. I really hope she gets like three seasons out of it because I personally, I think the show itself is going in a very, very good direction. Especially now it's starting to find its feet. Yeah, because of, of the other thing, of course, you've got the new Doctor, new showrunner, um, and also new cast of friends, which I think they're specifically trying to say friends rather than companions yeah. in order to, well, make it less about, like, you know, this this guy with, like, a young female companion, which has kind of been the historic kind tradition. The slightly, slightly romantic dint of that, and then also the idea that they don't have a choice, that like they're following them around. And the way they're doing it now is more that, like, they just happen to get into pickles, which yeah. is classic, isn't it? And one thing I particularly enjoyed about Matt Smith's Doctor was Amy and Rory mm. and the way they worked as a group. And mm. to rely on just the one Doctor-Companion dynamic puts a lot of pressure on the companion. They have to go through a lot. And I'm sorry, we're not back in the days where it's Rose and the Doctor, okay? Since then, it has the, the dual companion thing has not really worked. Yeah, I, I agree, think. yeah. And it's because, I'm sorry, Rose and the Doctor was the perfect pairing. So to try and keep doing that, they tried to, I think, the first season of Matt Smith, they tried to replicate that with Amy and the Doctor. But then they obviously were like, no, 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 we're going to bring in someone else, which was fine. But, I think it, I, yeah. I've always liked Amy and I feel like she had quite a good, like, relationship with the Doctor. It wasn't just romantic. And the idea was that she was kind of a bit lost and yeah. she sort of looked, it for him, looked to him for something that she maybe didn't really need but yeah. I think it definitely worked for me a lot better when Rory was in the equation as well I, yeah. I really liked Donna yes same but that's because the relationship was different it was completely different like it was never supposed to be romantic Yeah, it was always supposed to be funny mm. and also I think Catherine Tate and David Tennant just had a really good they're like BFFs as yeah, well yeah and I think yeah it's interesting so I feel like in the end we've never gotten over the Rose and Doctor hangover so we just don't want to go back there interestingly Jodie Whittaker has said that she'd like to meet Rose she'd like to have the Doctor oh, meet Rose really cute. which I, really I think would that. be like I know they don't want to do anything no, to do with the old series they at shouldn't all, do it at the moment but I think the it'd be great if they did that I think that would really work really well actually so one episode the episodes I have most enjoyed in recent years which I did watch was the um was it the 50th anniversary the crazy one yeah uh, where David Tennant and Matt Smith like reunited and yeah. went off together on an adventure. Except they made David Tennant really annoying in that one, which was really annoying because he was great. He he wasn't completely himself, but they had someone, oh, John Hurt. Oh, the, yeah, he the, was... The 11th and a half Doctor, yeah, or whatever yeah. it was, had to, like, deal with this weird, this computer program that was manifesting as Rose, right? And then David Tennant saw her and we were like, oh, my God! Yeah. But it was... I think the reason I liked it, like, when you're saying all of that, I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't even remember any of that, really. That's just coming back was, to me right now. It was, like, the spirit. Yeah. And I think the big part about Doctor Who is that, like, you know, every Saturday night, I would sit there with my family, you know, when I was 11, 12, 13, and, you know, we would watch this adventure on film and we wouldn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And it would be exciting. And, obviously, some episodes we wouldn't like as much, like, you know, as with anything. There's um, dads always. There's so many of them. Yeah, but it was always, like, that kind of, like excitement and like fun yeah and i think that's something that got a bit lost when they got a bit bogged down with this kind of big overlying narrative about the doctor as this person who had regenerated all these times and been part of all these wars and all the law it was just it got unwieldy didn't it yeah and i think so far jodie whittaker has really been able to kind of like claim that for her own in what seems to be a very seamless way the show as you said has been promoting diversity in every Which is aspect great. apparently also not only like in front of camera but behind camera like oh, they're trying to get like a really diverse writing staff 
and producers and directors, which is just like that's 100%. the future of television. And that's what like a prime time, you know, leading British show should be doing yeah, on the BBC. I mean, you have to look at Killing Eve, which was just amazing, by the way. Like, it's such a good show, and that's an example of where like they just cast who they thought was right in the role and they tried to make it like a different angle and it's not just like your typical like male orientated spy drama it's got like so many more levels as a result every single time they do this it does well i yeah. don't know what they think i honestly don't don't know why they don't see the equation as working yet like crazy rich asians black panther killing eve doctor who like come on yeah so i think in conclusion we both enjoyed what we've seen so far yeah, i think yeah. it would maybe be fun to like check in on this in like but the end, of the, the season, end of the season, yeah, 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 and see what we're thinking if we're still watching and what we've been enjoying. Um, and I think we're going to just like quickly round off this discussion with like, what was your favourite Doctor Who moment? They, off the top of your head, we haven't prepared this. Oh, okay, okay. My favourite Doctor. Who, I'm going to say my favourite Doctor. The one I okay. The Doctor Who episode I return to time and time again is yeah. Tooth and Claw from season two. Oh, the werewolf. The one. werewolf one. Interesting. Because the 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 doctor and rose relationship has always been one of my favorite romantic relationships ever in all of the tv film mm. books i've ever read and watched um and that one is great because it's in scotland it's got queen victoria in it who i love i like werewolves it's really it's a, one of those it's a closed house encounter where it's all done in real time mostly um, and the wolf attacks them and they have to kind of run and it's really like spooky but fun and there's a great line in it where he says we have the best weapons ever books they're in the library trying to work mm. out what to do uh, and then also like Rose and the Doctor like they get separated and have to come back together and they have to protect each other and I really like the whole the whole package just I love it I really do and my favourite moment is when he opens up the doors after in a Christmas invasion, after becoming David Ten- <laughs> David Tennant, and he's restored himself thanks to the tannins in the tea, and everyone's like, "Yes, you've come to save us!" And we're all like, "Woo!" Uh, yeah, that's I my favorite. I love it when he um, had the tea to restore him. I found that yeah. incredibly relatable. Yeah, and even at like, the time, I don't even know how old he was at that point. But yeah, and they're like, "This is English. You're speaking English," and she and Rose is like if you're speaking English and I'm hearing English, that must mean, and then the camera turns back, he like opens both the doors on the TARDIS and you're like wearing a dressing gown and you're like, yeah, I, I'm pumping my fist right now. What are you, Flan? Okay, so the two episodes that it's bringing to mind um, are uh, The Empty Child, which is also the one with the... Oh, most haunting one today. But I think those, that so it's a... It's a two-hander, so it's the empty child and the follow-up is the doctor dances. Well, my reasoning for picking those two episodes was that I think it was really scary, and I, that was in the first series with with Christopher. Eccleston. Really scary. But I, I remember everybody I know talking about it, like everybody at school. And obviously, at this point, I was at primary school. Oh, we, you're actually so right. Yeah, we were all talking about it. There were people who were scared and people who, you know, but we were all excited by it, and we, <laughs> it was a conversation topic. And I imagine that that was not just the case in my small primary school. I'm sure that was the case kind of across the board yeah. that everyone was talking about it. And it was an example of like water cooler television, as they call it. Yeah. Um, but also, it was a really clever bit of storytelling, like taking an item that is normal, or or at least has been, you know, something that we've often seen in real making life, it scary. and making it scary. But also it makes you think, well, gas masks are scary because the, you know, implication is that you're in a war and you have to wear this. Mm. Like, um, the fact that it was a little boy, um, my brother used to, like, scare me by, like, he was still like little shorts because he was at <laughs> he was, like, seven and, like, would, like, leap out. And Honestly, if anyone ever said, 
to a British person our age, mummy, are you my mummy? You would be like, no, shush. Like, that's would terrible. get that reference. Um, I really like Christopher Eccleston a lot and liked Christopher Eccleston's relationship with Rose too. I mean, I think props to Billy Piper because she actually had a really great repertoire with she's um, an amazing actress repertoire for other with both of them you know in, in different ways um and i like the second world war setting and all the supporting characters yeah. and it works really well as a standalone and the overall message too and that was when jack harkness gets in gets yeah in. who i really like as yeah, well he's great um and nobody dies in the episode and they make a big thing about they that do. don't they which is really positive yeah i remember I, I can remember the scene now yeah um so i would pick that um i would I also remember the episode where Christopher Eccleston regenerated into David Tennant oh. as being like crushingly sad. Yeah. Like, um, and of course the same when David Tennant regenerated, and that was like oh the my three God. Locks. Like, yeah. Um, oh, do you remember the one where the do- where the TARDIS became a woman? Because that was also a really good one. That was quite random, is my recollection. Yeah, but it was a good episode. But the other episode I really like, um, and actually, well, it's interesting because I think these bottle episodes are the ones that like stand with me, which is or stick with me, which is probably just because they don't have a link to this like greater mythology the one with madame pompadour that's a good one with the clockwork people david tennant is like so fit he's like, so fit that like, we, yeah he's that's I, a, I, I remember like just being like oh my god I yeah he's like a t-shirt yeah, yeah 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 and then rose had really cool curly hair at the time yeah and it was just a it, again it was an interesting historic episode yeah. which i was quite Absolutely. liked um so yeah there have been some real gems and then of course you've got the fact that like the other a really good one, another really good bottle episode. Interestingly, these were all written by Stephen Moffat. I think he was a lot better at writing those individual episodes yeah. than he was the big overarching ones. But um, the one with um, Carrie Mulligan the, and the, the uh, angels, the first time the angels Blink. were Blink. Oh my yeah. God, Blink. That is honestly one of the... I honestly... That was one everyone was talking about. Yeah, that was another one. Like, that there? was the one that everyone heard of and everyone had watched and everyone was frightened of. It was yeah. really scary. Um, but again, it's like such a clever monster. And of course, they kind of exploited the... And they ruined it. They kind yeah. of ruined it, yeah. But, but you know, it was also showed that you don't actually need the Doctor to be like a really main part of that, you know, because <sighs> Carrie Mulligan and the other yeah. actors in it were very effective. So frightening. Um, but, you know, all those... Watching those sorts of episodes is so memorable to me. It's so, it's, it's so much a part of, like something I did when I was younger that I really hope that there will be those episodes and those moments for like children today watching Jodie Whittaker's Doctor and I also think it's important to remember it is a children's show and that's not me diminishing its impact on adults and I know a lot of adults around the world like love it and feel very affectionate towards it um you know and enjoy it as a show that they watch as adults but I just think like the idea of it like inspiring children creatively and getting them interested in history and interested in like aspects of the world they didn't know about and cultural them. issues well there's rosa parks one yeah a lot they really talk about i mean they don't specifically say black lives matter but they really get deep into the problems of segregation and um, yeah it's very uncomfortable it makes you really uncomfortable that episode in a good way really, that yeah I, ha- I haven't watched that yet but we'll let you know my thoughts when i do but that Absolutely. sounds really powerful it was very well done and, and that's i think what the show should be striving to do and it was initially set up to be a show that kind of was like somewhat educational for children and like teaching them things that they didn't know so i really hope they take some of that spook factor as well because none of the matt smith episodes were as spooky as the david tennant ones like the fashion arada do you remember them the shadows and the library oh yeah yeah and then there was the one set in new york with the um manhattan project and one with the scarecrows 
the one where remember the parallel universe where like Martha remembered everything but the doctor didn't remember anything yeah that was really creepy and he was like a sort of well he was like a medical doctor yeah and he got really upset when he realised who he actually was yeah honestly when you know what he about it like this is crazy but yeah like, there were definitely some definitely some good ones there so we'll wrap up our Doctor Who discussion but we would be interested to hear any thoughts that you have about Jodie Whittaker's performance or mm-hmm. like the new direction the show is taking in, in yeah terms did of- you really like Stephen Moffat's crazy episodes if you someone must have so if you did let us know because we're actually really interested in the discussion because I think you know it's very easy to say I love it I love it I love it but there are many people out there who have other opinions so yeah and I also think it, it you know we're, we're trying not to be swayed by nostalgia um <laughs> trying <laughs> but no but it's difficult like everybody is everybody is and I think you find yourself like sometimes you recall things as being incredibly good and then you watch them back and actually they've got a lot of issues and I'm not like saying that, that wouldn't be the case for some of the episodes we've mentioned today like I haven't watched all of them recently, so I don't quite know how they would stand up the test of time. So, yeah, um, yeah we would love to hear from you. And I thought of a great seek. Oh, yeah, for this. Um, to talk about things which, to go from things which we have a lot of experience of and had a lot of nostalgia towards and a lot of expectations attached to, we're going to move on to now something that we basically went into blind. Yeah. Which was, and last minute too, yeah. which was the musical Heather's. So Heather's is a 1980s movie starring Winona Ryder as Veronica Sawyer, um, a clever, ambitious girl who gets sort of involved in this group of girls who are all called Heather, who were like a mean girls. Basically the mean girls. Yeah, yeah. group at her high school. There's three of them. They're all called Heather. They're all rich and entitled. And Uh as she says in, in both the film and the play... Um, they're her best friends, but she also hates them. Yeah. You know, she's she, she's like sort of stuck in this like cycle of like feeling she has to be part of their group in order to and be popular. She's and survive. done it to basically survive high school and to uh, stop herself from getting bullied, essentially. And it's a very classic American high school segregation of people by nerd or jock, um, a lot of bullying. So it's a very classic what you deem as like an American cliquey high school. Um, and then you in, throw in this sort of like. Um, sort of maybe Heath Ledgery but more goth yeah. um, character called James Dean no Jason Dean Jason Dean yeah or JD who is like you know classic um, you, maybe Ulysses reading dark teenager who Veronica get, meets up with and gets involved with and becomes sort of like enticed by his um, enthralled by his attitude of like fuck the world everything is crap because it kind of lines up with her what she's experienced so far but then things take a dark turn with a lot of murder <laughs> yeah yeah so, so um, the movie is a cult sort of a cult classic when it yeah. first came out it kind of sunk under the water a bit but then it was really caught on with the the young people at the time because it's it's got this like sardonic sense of humour yeah um, it's sort of a revenge fantasy in some ways um it's also got a lot of swearing um it doesn't shy away from teen obviously teen suicide is a big part of the story but also um there's like the threat of sexual violence and um depression and like all these kind of like issues that teenagers like genuinely deal with are touched upon in this in the film in a sort of darkly comic way which wouldn't be for everybody um but I think on the whole with it was like heralded as being very funny and original and like yeah. other movies since um probably its biggest 
uh, well, what's the word, sort of follow on in some ways could be Mean Girls. Yeah. But Mean Girls is not as dark. Like, mean Girls is much more comedic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think other films definitely took Heathers and then kind of made it like slightly more palatable perhaps. Mm. Um, but the, yeah, the movie has is a cult classic. There are a lot of lines in it that we would all recognise. Um, like a big one is, what is it, my teenage angst has got a body count. That kind of thing. Yeah, and um, then there's the fact, she says like, things are so very... So very... A bit yeah. like in Clueless, where they have their kind of own like, or Mean Girls, or like Mean Girls, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so sign of a hit film, yeah. And the musical um, started off Broadway in about 2014. Yeah. Um, I don't think it ever had a Broadway run. I think it was always off Broadway. I think it was all off Broadway. Yeah. And then it's now come to the West End, um, and it's been going for about two or three months. Yeah. So it came to the West End via um, the other palace, which is a, I guess off West End. That's not really a word. That's not really a phrase. That we not use a thing we UK, use, but but it is essentially like not a West End theatre, but it was in London. Um, it was set out there, like really, really popular, and then it moved to the Theatre Royal Haymarket, where it is currently showing until the end of November. So you have time to get a ticket if you want to. Yeah. Hear um, discussion. We would really recommend it. It stars. Oh, Harry Hope Fletcher, uh, Tom Fletcher of McFly's sister. Yes. And yes. also she's a big YouTuber. She's been in loads of musicals and she's very, very talented. As well as Jamie Moscato, um, who is a relative newcomer, I would say, into the West End, but also very, very talented. And then it features, uh, you know, a bunch of other people, including actually my friend Meryl. So hi, Meryl. If you're listening, you're not, but she was also great in the chorus. So... Um, it's got a pretty standout cast, I would say. And a, a very young cast, too, because a majority mm. of them are playing high school students, um, and they all, as far as I could tell, seem to be kind of, like, in their 20s, yeah. um, relative newcomers to the West End. Carrie Hope Fletcher has played Eponine in Les Miserables. Yeah. She was on the Adams Family Tour, and she has a, a real name for herself, as, as we said, in the YouTube community, uh, but is also an incredible West End performer. I think yeah. there is, like, a trend... Uh, of casting YouTubers in roles who yeah. don't necessarily have that pedigree, but she 100% does. To be honest with you, I think her career has always been dual. You know, she's been yeah, a theatre performer totally. and a YouTuber. Um, so overall, I think... So I was coming into watching Heathers with the... I knew what it was. I have a bunch of friends who went to see it, but and they loved the film, and they really liked to see it, and it really, you know, the, the, the kind of... The values of Heathers the film basically anti-establishment i would say teenage angst um kind of appealing to people who feel marginalized i think and who see themselves in the characters um you know that's the big draw i think and you know the kind of people who i know went to see it i'd be like of course it liked heather that makes sense to me so um they went to it and really loved it i never knew anything about it i'm not into 80s films really i'm not very good i haven't watched the breakfast club or anything so but we got tickets in the lottery last minute yeah so so i'm a big fan of 80s films yeah um, but i didn't watch heathers when i was a teenager because i was put off by the murder well Mm. i wouldn't even say i was put off i was probably just actually like confused i was like what kind of film is this apparently it's a comedy but like it doesn't sound very comedic um and the 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 phrase darkly comic like definitely covers the film but I actually think in a musical, there's something about something being darkly comic, which is sort of slightly more palatable and also works better because, you know, so uh, there are going to be spoilers in this discussion, but I don't think it's like really a spoiler because the movie is like quite It's been out old. for so long, guys. Come yeah. on. <laughs> I don't think knowing any of this would affect your enjoyment of like the even show. I knew they murdered three people yeah. and I hadn't watched it. But if you are concerned, then you could always like tune out now. Um, but yeah, like when, so basically JD 
persuades slash tricks Veronica, depending on how you want to look at it, into having a hand in the murder of three of her classmates, one of whom is Chief Heather, um, Heather Chandler, Chandler, um, who is the bane of Veronica's life at that point. Is it a mythic A mythic bitch. (laughs) Such a good phrase. Um, And then the other two are these, like, two jocks who essentially try and date rape Veronica. Try Um, and fully sexually assault her, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so JD in his mind is coming from a place of kind of moral righteousness which is obviously very misguided but that's how he sees it isn't it mm, and he's being Heather's hero no, Veronica's hero Veronica's hero is yeah. his idea of it um, a sort of refrain in the musical is him singing I worship you which goes from being like incredibly romantic to like incredibly creepy yeah depending on the context of after he's kind of like roped her into these murders um, but after these characters are killed in the show, they reappear as ghosts. Yeah. Um, very funny. Keeps it very jovial. It, it is very jovial throughout. The, the, the music is very uplifting. and it's kind of very, very Broadway. Honestly, I said I remarked to Francesca um, that the guy, so Jamie Moscato, who plays JD, has this just classic Fiero from Wicked-esque voice, which is just pure sort of brato on the end. And it just, like, I hear it and I just get happy. It's just this br- full... It's a very, um, if you've heard of Next to Normal, or actually it's very Wicked-like, actually, mm. or um, Dear Evan Hansen, it's very Broadway, and it's very, like, feel-good. That's kind of how it is. Like, even, you know, even those kind of songs which are meant to be dramatic are very, like, kind of still rock and And we'll and still fun. have, like, funny moments then. Like, so, for example, there's, like, a, a song called My Kindergarten Boyfriend, which is sung by... Uh, Veronica's sort of former best friend who has now been kind of like shunned out of her life with the Heathers um, and she sings about how she had this you know sort of relationship with the boy when she was at kindergarten so like four yeah which obviously is funny in itself and like that's the kind of thing that I think when you're 18 you'd be like yeah this was really important but obviously yeah. you know yeah. um, but she sings about how um, you know she was soaring through the skies in her dream with her kindergarten boyfriend and oh, a horse, horse with, with wings, wings. <laughs> and it's like it like undermines that kind of like Serious. potential seriousness and that's done throughout in a very very effective way and mm-hmm. also the actors themselves like really make that work so particularly Carrie Hope Fletcher like is has such great comic timing Com- comedic timing like, yeah. it was honestly hilarious and I mean she was in like every scene and there would be moments where like her facial expression would just like it was a great bit that you can kind of hear I have the 2014 Broadway soundtrack so I'm waiting for the new soundtrack to come out please bring that which, which is apparently coming out soon so that's exciting yes. yeah. there's a scene where she meets JD in a um, in a 7-Eleven while getting corn nuts for the Heathers. Um, and she's interested in him at this point. She's like, who is this interesting, very emo, Ulysses reading boy? Yeah. Um, he's reading the American version of Ulysses, wasn't he? Anyway. Um, and uh, she says, like, he recommends, like, drinking, what is it, the slushies to, like, help deal with, like, the pain of angst of being a teenager. And then she's like, does your mommy know you drink all that crap? And he's like, not anymore. When mom was... A-, and he said, and like, he sings, he sings yeah. like, when, when his mom was alive. And then Carrie Fletcher goes, Ugh! and yeah. you're like, just, it's, yeah, the dyna- the dynamism and the fact that I think that sometimes in broad musical shows, the songs, it goes songs, acting, songs, acting. When you can blend them as well as they do, Mamma Mia does this quite well too, I will give it to them. Um, when you can blend it all together and make it seem as seamless as possible, I think that's really good. Yeah, and they definitely do that in this show. Like the, uh, uh, you know, afterwards when I was listening to the soundtrack, I was trying to think what wasn't in the soundtrack, like what was just spoken. And I was like, actually, it was mostly sung, but it didn't feel sung through in the way Mm -hmm. of like something like Met Lame is. You know, it's it's much more kind of like... uh, 
colloquial in the things that they're singing um, and it's, it is done very effectively yeah. because it does I mean afterwards when we finished it finished watching Helena said it's almost like it's all supposed to have happened in Veronica's head yeah and, and I kind of agree like it's almost done in a way that like it does feel like satire and it does feel like a kind of sort of a fantasy you know because you, you know, can't really take it after seriously. the two boys so they basically set up well JD with Veronica accidentally helping sets up the death of the two jocks by having strip basically down to the, the matching little underwear and then um pit, you know pit, pitching their death as a as a double suicide because um, they're gay which you might be like oh that's a bit like making fun of gay people except you know it's all done in this very like obviously satirical manner and then they have this like funeral where the two dads start to fight about whether or not being gay is okay and then turn out both to be gay and have this big like we're you know we love our homosexual sons kind of thing and you're like what is happening yeah and at no point is it sad you know there's no yeah. there's no hint of sadness in terms of the fact that like these lives have been cut short and it's only really towards the end when veronica basically completely kind of breaks out of the spell that mm. she's kind of under with jd and it's like i've got to stop anymore but then there's this giant like then JD dies and explode in the end I kind of felt as if for me if they bit if the general general the general if the general kind of like story of the show of the film or the show had been that Veronica these things were happening in a much more low-key version and Veronica was kind of like build them up the show was building them up to more dramatic to make a point like JD didn't actually blow himself up he just like you know had an idea to blow himself and didn't do it like you know, it, that's not right but the idea that these things got elevated and hyperbolized because that's what teenage brains do and because it's making a point and the suicides are actually suicide they're more just like different things happening um it's a bit meta i suppose but no but i agree because even like at the end when she's you know it's unrealistic it's unrealistic it's unrealistic that she would like be totally fine with the fact that JD had just blown himself up. Or totally fine that she literally killed someone with um, uh, cleaner fluid. Yeah, where she is like completely okay with all these things, but she still is the stand-in for the audience. Yeah. Like she's the audience surrogate as being this kind of like fairly normal girl. Like, yeah. So I think, as you say, I also would sort of interpret it that it's not supposed to be taken as a serious, like oh, this no. is actually what's happening. At the end, she's like, oh, my date to the pet rally kind of blew me off. You're like, no, he blew up. Like, you know, this is this is like serious stuff, but it's never. Yeah. It, it's hard to describe. Like as we're talking about it now, I'm thinking like if I was listening to this and I had never seen it before, I'd be like, what? The, what? It, is this it show? sounds ridiculous. It yeah. sounds really weird, but I think it is a very clever high school satire. Anybody who has been a fan of high school movies, um, whether gone watched, to a high school, yeah, yeah, and and who's been a teenager, like there are some like particularly like potent like realistic moments in amongst this madness and craziness and kind of like surreal elements Mm -hmm. um and it just has like some really good music honestly i've as i said to francesca when we were leaving i have never been in such a hyped happy audience that people were dancing one woman was sobbing during the kindergarten boyfriend song did you hear that yeah yeah Yeah. like and then at the end they had like a little little refrain and everyone was pumping their fists and I've obviously I think a lot of people were there because they like the film, but I've never had a happier, never been in a happier, more with it audience ever. Like, yeah, it people was, were there to enjoy themselves. I, would, yeah. I felt so joyful. I felt like I had such a great time. Yeah, we really did, and I think it was obviously fun because we went quite spontaneously, having yeah. won this lottery tickets, and we were also like uh, in the stalls, and we were saying mm. how majority of the time when we go to the theatre, we end up right at the back, Crazy, can't really see yeah. anything. So it was actually quite exciting to be able to be much closer oh, yeah. to the action, um, and it was just like a really fun 
environment like people were just really there to enjoy themselves and it was really funny I mean I had like a grin on my face the whole time I was really yeah. really excited really happy for those involved in it yeah I was too really swept up in the music really loved the music I thought it, there were some really there were some really great Broadway songs in there honestly the standout is Dead Girl Walking that whole oh, scene so good basically like in that scene and this is interesting because this is different from the film like ha- having seen like how that plays out it is a little bit different but basically um in the movie she, like veronica goes to see jd having had this like big argument with heather which is what kind of instigates them to plot the revenge mm. um and it's you know fairly underplayed in the movie but in the in the show she sings this song dead girl walking about how she is a dead girl walking because heather is going to get her come monday at 8 a.m in, in the homeroom um and she climbs up jd's house, he lives, yeah. yeah um and goes in and then fully bangs him propositions <laughs> but like the staging is great like because carrie hope betcher's talked about this and they're like aren't you like do you feel weird about doing the, a very what is basically fake sex on stage it, mm. it's very choreographed and it's very um deliberately mild but also deliberately like obvious to make a point like it's very it's like a dance basically um and she was like well i really enjoy it because i get to have a bit of fun you know be a bit sexy make out with a guy on stage but like it's not meant to be serious it's meant to be a piece and it's really funny and fun and like loud and ridiculous and it was a really well choreographed and although yeah. like they're basically miming sex on stage but it doesn't feel lewd at all it just no. feels like and, and she does it yeah. in this really fun way of like her basically owning her sexuality yeah. and owning what she wants as veronica mm. um and you know people were weeping and cheering and i mean she's talked about the fact that she is like a size 14 12 to 14 you know which of mm. course is like a very like many women are that size, size yeah. um but often on stage like people are as in other forms of media like very slim um and she's like this is a moment where she's like in her bra um people are whooping and cheering with her really curly hair like yeah she's yeah. just completely herself which works so well for veronica but yeah. also is like a really it sounds weird to say a positive image when you think about like what the rest of the, the story is like, it's you, fun it's positive it, it is depicted and it does ultimately the show does ultimately have like a positive message which is about acceptance and um and not just acceptance of some people it's acceptance of everybody of everybody like regardless and um also striving and hoping for a better future yeah like heather chandler gets accepted by the way she the fake suicide even heather duke who is like the evil one who like goes absolutely bonkers and like nearly gets heather the other one to kill herself blah, blah, blah. even she's accepted at the end so that's the whole idea isn't it and yeah. yeah and i think that's just the great honestly i'm still happy about that show and i'm thinking about it an hour week on Basically. yeah yeah same I, I really enjoyed it like i think i think also we were both quite pleasantly surprised it wasn't that we didn't think we would like it but we didn't really quite know what to expect and it's always positive to go into something with yeah, that definitely. mindset so yeah we would recommend it. it as we said it's on at the theater or haymarket until the 24th of november you probably still be able to get the tickets won't be too expensive because it's not like 
you know, it's like Hamilton. It's not like really in demand. And I'm never going to see that apparently because I just can't bear buying a hundred, but it's not happening. I can't do it. But they so. also, they, so they announced um, a couple of weeks ago that they're going to release the um, West End cast on okay. uh, a soundtrack, which would be great. There were a couple of differences in the songs. Um, they switched out a couple of songs. Yeah. Um, so it would be interesting from that perspective, but also I just really enjoyed that cast. So it'd be quite exciting to listen to them. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, you, but in the meantime, you can listen to the Broadway soundtrack if you're interested definitely would recommend if you're a musical fan um okay so um we're gonna move on towards wrapping the show up for today now um i think we've had quite a lot of heavy discussion or heavy as such but in-depth discussion so we'd like to finish off finish off when we can with a discussion of what we've been enjoying uh, what we're looking forward to and the Christmas season is approaching I always find the end of the year most exciting for books and for TV and for film so Flan anything you want to chat about? so um <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> we're laughing because like we just recorded this and then it didn't record so it feels like I'm just we're repeating myself we're real people myself. guys we have real issues so I'm because I don't want to repeat myself I'm going to like do it in a different order um, Ooh. so last week I went to see A Star Is Born which is obviously being really hyped and really talked about as being this potential Oscar contender, Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, yeah. uh, Lady Gaga in her first like big acting role. Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't think I loved it as much as a lot of people seem to have loved it. Mm. But I think that there is something to discuss there. And we considered potentially doing a podcast where we talked about I've seen the this original one of this sorry this recent one and Helena may watch like the Judy Garland version and we might kind of like talk about that and how why this this same story keeps like being retold yeah <laughs> like reverberating through history um so saw that um also loved and watched uh Killing Eve which if you haven't watched it you should and you will love it like it's um yeah definitely I mean, this is like a broken record like I'm sure everybody you know is telling you to watch it but mm. you should and it will pay off. Um, and also I've been really into This Is Us recently, which I know I've talked about on the podcast before. It's just a really great, like, intergenerational family drama, mm. comedic moments, but also touching, so this most recent series is touching on the Vietnam War, I think, in a really, like, effective and Ooh, impactful awesome. way. Yeah, yeah, like, I think you, like, it, it's one of those series that does sometimes do episodes that you could just, like, completely watch just like a standalone episode. Yeah, and there sure. was one which talked about the father figure who's played by Milo Ventimiglia when he was in his early 20s and was drafted into well actually his brother was drafted into Vietnam and he kind of followed him and it talks about like the televised draft that took place and I think it really like hammers home to you like what that would have been like like it's not a traditional Mm. Vietnam on screen depiction like you know you often see the kind of war film where there's yeah. like a gang of guys and it's, it doesn't really go down that route particularly it's more about like the impact this has had on the family um i love that show and i think that the actors are incredibly effective at basically playing these characters in very different stages of their life like yeah. you know this is yeah milo ventimiglia playing the character of jack in his 20s but he also at some point plays him in his 50s and uh, everything in between and like mm. with different his children at different ages and um, I think as with a lot of shows that when you get into the third season and you're really invested in the characters like that's when they can kind of play around with things and mm. um, although this has always been a show that's played around with time and expectation but I love it love my Love Intermedia love Mandy Moore like yeah Mandy Moore's yeah. great 
she, and she's really really good in it so yeah oh. i've been really enjoying that how about you uh me um gosh i'm only suggested this and i can't <laughs> think of anything very suddenly honestly Helen. <laughs> oh honestly oh well the first thing i've been really enjoying um is the dragon prince on netflix which Ooh. found there's no surprise in fans <laughs> expression at all so if anyone's ever heard of avatar the last airbender one of the best shows ever made um it's absolutely fantastic um and this is a show by the same creators updated animation netflix funded animation which is great because the animation is animated the animation in avatar the last airbender is not as good because it was nickelodeon at the time and it was back 10 years ago it's got a, a couple of voice actors from the Av- avatar the last airbender in it and it's really great it's uh, it's an animated show but it's a classic thing that like it's kind of adults watch it as well as kids and it's about basically these two kingdoms at war um over a dragon egg basically and it's sick and it's so much fun and i i love avatar the last airbender and netflix has said they're going to make a live action version of that show which is just the best thing that's ever going to happen because they did make a live action version done by emma like shamalam it was terrible whitewashed shitty terrible script Ooh, and avatar the last airbender is such a great show Arrgh! so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing that and I'm really enjoying the Dragon Prince at the minute. I'm also very excited because um, we've got a couple of great video games that have come out. We have Tomb Raider, the Shadow of the Tomb Raider. We've got Ad Assassin's Creed Odyssey has come out and uh, God of War is out. So there's a bunch of video games that are too expensive for me to buy, but Christmas is coming so I can buy them and then play them at Christmas. And there's a bunch of books that have come out specifically um the Muse of Nightmares by Lenny Taylor, who's my and Faye. Hi, Faye! You're not listening, but we love you. Uh, one of our favourite authors. And uh, also the last in the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J Maas, Kingdom of Ash, has just come out today. They're both too expensive and I'm too busy to read them. But at Christmas time, I'm going to get them. I'm going to read them. And they're basically, again, more content in two worlds that I really enjoy, but authors who I really enjoy. Um, and they both have hot men in them too, so I can't complain. So <laughs> I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on those. Because um, at the minute I'm trying to slog through some stuff I just have on my bookshelf because I need to stop buying books and actually read them. So right now I'm reading The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, or The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle if you're in the States. Didn't ask oh, why, it's different. I mean, I, I have heard of that book, I didn't know it had a different title though. It's different in the States because The Seven Deaths of something else has, has been a well-known title, so they have to change it. Um, so I mean that it's a crime thriller with a twist. Crime thriller's not really my genre, but I'm reading it and slightly enjoying it anyway. So, um, yeah. Oh, I'm disappointed by Bake Off. Bake Off's just not, not calling me this year. It's just really not that interesting. Like I'm going to finish it, but I don't care. Mm. Oh, Strictly. Amazing. Love it. Strictly's doing great this year. I'm really enjoying it. We will check in with you soon. Um, we would love to hear from you about Heather's. And obviously you can follow us on Twitter at RealLLW. Um, we have an Instagram, loves, labours, watch, no punctuation. And we also have a Gmail, loves, labours, watch, no punctuation at gmail.com. So feel free to get in touch with us in any way that you like. Apart from Facebook, we do not have a Facebook. You can't Facebook us, so don't do that. Um, that's it. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>